You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is Tim Rice. Welcome to episode 46 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. In early 1973, after two years of the unexpected but truly remarkable success of Jesus Christ Superstar nearly everywhere on the globe, the nagging question of the follow-up became extremely pressing. Andrew Lloyd Webber and I had been so busy chasing various productions of our hit show around the world that it was fairly easy not to think for too long about attempting to sustain our success, which in any event had been boosted by the even more unexpected commercial success of the work we'd written for schools before Superstar, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This had been entirely as a result of a wonderful production by Frank Dunlop at the Edinburgh Festival, in which Joseph, for the first time, was performed somewhere other than a school before an audience of all generations. But we were still considered one-hit wonders, or maybe one-and-a-half-hit wonders, considered as such by ourselves as much as by the rest of the entertainment business. So the next stage was vital, if we were to hang on in the theatre world past 30. We'd had had one or two suggestions from producers, including new versions of Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, but none really fired our enthusiasm. Our next project had to be our own idea. That idea was Jeeves. We were both huge admirers of P.G. Woodhouse, and in particular of his immortal duo, the supremely intelligent manservant Jeeves, and his intellectually challenged Hooray Henry Master, Bertie Wooster. We became convinced that to musicalise these famous characters would be the perfect and unexpected follow-up to our two biblical shows. It never crossed our minds, that it would be bonkers not to progress with the accidental groundbreaking we'd achieved with Superstar. We preferred to play it safe by reverting to a musical that could have been written in 1950, if not 1930. 
Of course, we were not the first to come up with the idea for a Jeeves musical. Woodhouse himself had had a go. Indeed, one of the problems that affected the lengthy negotiations that our management team of David Land and Peter Brown, Peter was head of the Robert Stigwood office in America, that David Land and Peter Brown had had with Woodhouse's agents to obtain the relevant rights was that Woodhouse and his longtime collaborator Guy Bolton had written their own Jeeves musical, Leave It to Jeeves, many years before, with music by Robert Wright and George Forrest, lyrics by P.G., and book by Guy. Consequently, we found ourselves dealing with Guy Bolton as well as with Woodhouse's advisers, and we were bombarded with advice and suggestions from the great dramatist, as David and Peter were simultaneously bombarded with legal work. Guy Bolton was then nearly 90, and P.G. Woodhouse a couple of years older, but both were 100% on the ball. They had written a number of hugely successful musicals in the early decades of the century, working with many of the greatest composers of all time, such as Jerome Kern, Cole Porter, George Gershwin, and even Franz Lehar. We were extremely small fry in comparison, and I was acutely aware of the fact that even if Woodhouse had never written a single novel, he would still have been remembered as one of the foremost theatrical lyricists of his era. Both Woodhouse and Bolton, British-born, were American citizens. But the deal was struck, and we began work on the new show in Italy. Andrew's aunt, Vi Crosby, a former actress, had retired with her husband George, a doctor, to a villa in Ventimiglia on the Mediterranean coast close to the French border. Their hospitality was outstanding, and the temptation to go sightseeing and sample local restaurants was not resisted. We did not make great progress with Jeeves. Our plan was to write a conventional book musical, i.e. with spoken dialogue scenes interspersed among the songs. My first job was to draft a plot. Basing my outline primarily on the story of The Code of the Woosters, with one or two scenes purloined from other Jeeves classics, I constructed a 22-scene synopsis telling the tale of Bertie's antics with the Drones Club, terrifying aunts, disastrous engagements to unsuitable ladies, stolen cow creamers, and the vile neo-Nazi Roderick Spode. Then we started at scene one to flesh it out with songs and speech. I found myself trying to keep the spoken bits to a minimum, instinctively preferring to tell as much of the story as possible through song. This inevitably slowed things down a bit, and after a fortnight or so, we'd only completed a scene and a half. The first number featured Bertie Wooster on the banjo, singing about his mastery of the instrument and recalling an embarrassing incident when he was arrested for stealing a policeman's helmet on boat race night. The song does not appear to have had a title, and the lyrics of mine that have survived were at best mundane. Here's a sample. Not a very long one, you'll be glad to hear. It's only been lately, my life has changed greatly. It's all come about since I bought my banjo. I was a Philistine. But now I've checked my sad decline, they'll all line up to hear me soon. For I've nearly learned jingle bells, carousels, highlights, and half a blue moon. It probably sounded better with the music, but not much. Back in England, we repaired to Andrew's new country retreat, a delightful farmhouse near East Noyle in Wiltshire, 
in order to stagger at least past scene two. Progress was again fitful, and I decided to go away somewhere on my own in an attempt to speed up the faltering process. Andrew had completed a bunch of tunes, and I was definitely holding things up. I went to stay in Exeter with my friends Harry and Lynn Guest. Harry had been an outstandingly popular teacher at Lansing College during my time there, and was now, besides teaching in Devon, a much-published and respected poet. I felt that spending some time with a fellow writer might provide inspiration. However, though the guests left their guests to his own devices during the day, I continued to struggle with the as-yet-untitled musical. I'd more or less completed two more lyrics, one to the outstanding tune that eventually became High Flying Adored in Evita. As part of the Jeeves story, it was called If I Were Keats, and merely proved that I was definitely not. Oh, if I were Keats, or Tennyson, or Rod McEwen, then I could begin to describe my thoughts to you, an easy thing for Keats, who knew his words and rhymes, and so on. Verse two was no better, in which Bertie Wooster imagined himself as a great artist. Oh, if I had the time, I'd paint for you around the clock well. That's if I were Waterhouse, Michelangelo, or Norman Rockwell. I think it was better with High Flying Adored. I also just about finished a lyric entitled Suddenly There's a Valet, a title that spoofed a big 1955 hit song entitled Suddenly There's a Valley. But it was becoming increasingly clear to me that all I was doing was making the master, P.G. Woodhouse, unfunny. Quite an achievement. I drove back from Devon, knowing that I wanted to pull out of Jeeves. This was not only because I knew I was writing badly. I was convinced I had a much more exciting idea for a new show. Working on Jeeves for three or four months made me realise that rather than seeing whether we could build on our new and original approach to musical theatre, as per Jesus Christ Superstar, we were throwing all that away in favour of a totally conventional and rather old-fashioned approach to musicals just when we should have been bold. Nevertheless, I still thought Jeeves had a good chance of being a hit. As to put it mildly, Andrew and P.G. Woodhouse were both outstanding creative artists. But partly because I was not a natural musical theatre animal, I needed something a little more off the wall to float my boat, to mix metaphors. And now a break for a bit of Jeeves' music, not featuring my words, you'll be glad to hear, as I do not think any recording exists with my primitive attempts to set Woodhouse's genius to rhyme, thank goodness. But here's a fine cover version of what is probably the show's strongest song, Half a Moment, lyric by Alan Aikborn, sung by Eric de Grey. Half a moment we are together I shall want no one else and nothing I shall treasure Keep it locked away For some future any day Should you leave me With just this moment In my mind I shall capture it anew And 
could begin to think about how to tackle a musical about a deceased Argentinian's dictator's wife, I had to get out of G's. This was a nightmare prospect. There were so many people to tell, and presumably let down. In fact, everybody, Andrew, Guy Bolton, David Land, and P.G. Woodhouse himself, took the news extremely well, worryingly well, come to think of it. Maybe they'd be glad to get rid of me. I thought perhaps that Andrew would also wish to abandon ship, and I mentioned my new idea, but This cut no ice, and he said he would proceed with another lyricist. Fair enough. I broke the news to both Bolton and Woodhouse by letter. I'd met Guy Bolton several times in London, and P.G. just once, at his home in Remsenburg, Long Island. Peter Brown took Andrew and me out to meet him one day, shortly after we'd decided to tackle Jeeves, and we spent a delightful afternoon in the company of the master and his wife, Ethel. This was undoubtedly the best moment of my entire involvement with the Jeeves saga. Plum, as we did not dare call him, happily posed for photographs with us. But of all the hundreds of rolls of film I was zapping off around the world at this time, this was the one I wrecked by opening my camera at the wrong moment. Mobile phones were still decades away. I never got the chance again for a picture with the man I consider not only to have been one of the greatest comic writers ever, but one of the greatest writers of any type ever. 
My letter to him included the paragraph, I have come to the conclusion that almost any attempt on my part to transfer Jeeves from book to song would do Jeeves and Bertie no good at all. Naturally, they would survive. They are immortal. But I would hate any failure on my part to be responsible for linking your magnificent characters with adverse criticism. To my great relief, I received the most gracious reply, dated September the 27th, 1973. Dear Mr. Rice, I appreciated all the nice things you said about me in your letter, and I am, of course, sad at the thought that your Jeeves show has fallen through. But, as the fellow said, that's show business, and you were certainly wise to issue a nolle prosequi, as Jeeves would say, if you didn't feel comfortable about going on with a job which was certainly about as tough a one as they come. I had a feeling that it was a bit dangerous doing Jeeves after your stupendous success with JCS. I don't know how the critics would have reacted, but there's nothing they like better than to jump on somebody, especially if young, who started off with a big winner. We'll show him, they say to themselves. Great pity, of course, but I'm sure you have been wise. I am halfway through a new Jeeves novel. It looks pretty good to me, but there's a block comedy scene coming along, and if that doesn't come out all right, I'm sunk, so I'm not cheering just yet. All the best. Yours, P.G. Woodhouse. Guy Bolton also responded most generously to my letter. Writing from Buck's Club in Clifford Street, he was kind enough to close by saying, I greatly admire you both as craftsmen, and I feel it is sufficient reward for time I've given to the enterprise to be counted among your friends. Phew. I was still dogged by a nagging panic that I'd just walked out of the biggest hit musical since, well, Superstar, and was almost tempted back in when Andrew recruited Alan Akebourne, no less, to write the book. I was asked to think again about writing just the lyrics, but after another look at my efforts to date, decided to stick to my guns. As Andrew and his new team continued bringing in highly distinguished sets of contributors, including David Hemmings as Bertie, I began to feel like the man who turned down the Beatles, but more often felt that my instincts were right, so they proved to be. The full story of the Jeeves musical after my desertion is fortunately not one I'm able to tell with any authority, but it did not turn out well. It ran rather shakily in Bristol before coming to London, but closed there after a few weeks at Her Majesty's Theatre, where Andrew was to triumph a decade later, and is still triumphing, pandemic permitting, with Phantom of the Opera. I'm not sure why it failed so ignominiously, but even in Bristol it looked as if there were storm clouds ahead. There were endless clashes between members of the team, but these were probably a consequence rather than a cause of the disaster. It was certainly far too long when it first hit the stage, but there have been plenty of long-winded hits before and since. The music was certainly not to blame, for the score contains a very pretty, but inevitably, because of the subject matter, lightweight selection of tunes. The good news for me was not that the show flopped, but that Andrew was still keen to work with me, and we soon got going at breakneck speed with Evita. In 1996, Andrew and Alan reworked the show at Alan's Scarborough Theatre, and this time around it worked much better, eventually enjoying a short run in the West End. The recordings are great fun, and the show continues to be performed. Here is a track from their 1996 By Jeeves original cast album. This delightful melody first surfaced in the Dr. Bernardo musical that Andrew and I wrote in 1965, 
when the tune was called Love Is Here, with new words by Alan Akebourne, with Stephen Pacey as Bertie, and Malcolm Sinclair as Jeeves. This is Travel Hopefully. I've invariably found that feet kept on the ground allow the grass to grow. Oh, this is rather splendid once you get the hang of it. Check your mirrors front and rear, slip smoothly into gear, then hit the road and go. Feel the best and steady beat, the camshaft neath your feet. That big end starts to fly. May I advise a modicum of caution, sir? He who hesitates is lost. Burn bridges once they're crossed. Don't stop to say goodbye. There is a blind corner approaching, sir. My philosophy's to travel hopefully and making each day that I survive. An opportunity to share the company that welcomes me when I arrive. Hark, the missile thrushes cry, the hedgerows rushing by, the curlew on the wing. That is a crow's, huh? List some distant church's bells, midst bracing country smells, those fields of golden thing called huh? my philosophy's to travel hopefully and making each day that I survive an opportunity to share the company that welcomes me when I arrive travels broadened out my mind until today you'll find the widest head I know. Thank you, you did say wisest. Every traveler I meet, I'll always stop to greet. Be careful how you go, sir. My philosophy's to travel hopefully and making each day that I survive an opportunity Share the company that welcomes me when I arrive. So indeed was Mr. Wooster upon savouring the delights of the journey. Travel hopefully with me, and I will guarantee there'll be no pause for doubt. That he failed to notice a solitary hitch. the nearest country track, no time for looking back. Look onwards and look out! Good Lord! That was episode 46 of Get Onto My Cloud, presented and written by me, Tim Rice, and produced by the one and only Peter Hobbs. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChampaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.